Well, once again, I do want to reiterate just happy Mother's Day, and uh, we, we celebrate all the moms and uh, all the women who are present here today, and uh, we would not be able to um, accomplish all that we do if it weren't for the incredible women here at GT and, and just the way they give and contribute in so many ways. Uh, this morning, when you leave here today, all the ladies that are present, we have a flower for you, uh, just in honor of you for Mother's Day, all women uh, that are present, we have a flower as well as this card that gives you a little bit of a description about the um, children that we sponsor on a monthly basis for Child Care Plus. It's an initiative within the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And we have committed as a church now for many years on Mother's Day that we would uh, continue to sponsor kids. We sponsor 20 kids, and as kids graduate out for whatever reason, uh, we replace it. And we have committed as a church that we will continue to sponsor in honor of all our moms and women present here at GT, uh, different kids around the world to help give them a better education, to help give them food and sustenance. And so there's a little card with the flower that you can have. And I uh, continue to remind you to pray for those wonderful children that we are partnering with to see God's kingdom purposes come uh, in their lives. And we get to be a part of a great global extension of ministry all around the world. Well, before I preach this morning, uh, if you're new, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at GT. We are so glad you would join with us for this great Mother's Day. I want to read something that is titled The Mother's Day Solemn Exhortation. Um, a lady by the name of Leslie Absher, who is a great friend of mine and also was a part of our preaching team at my former church, she's probably my favorite preacher in the world. Uh, Leslie is a phenomenal communicator, expositor of the word, um, has a, a master's in theology and just a brilliant lady. And um, Leslie and her husband, Chris, were a part of our church for many years and uh, have been trying to have kids for many years and had experienced, unfortunately, five miscarriages and were told that they would never be able to have children. And so every year at Mother's Day, it was a hard time for her. And we're here to celebrate all the wonderful things about Mother's Day, but we also have to be willing to acknowledge that this can be a challenging day for many women, a difficult day for many reasons. There's many layers to what it means to be a woman and the challenges that they face. And so um, we gathered several of our prayer people around Leslie uh, I remember one specific evening, I think it was a Tuesday evening, and we just prayed that God would just perform a miraculous thing in her womb. And now she is the mother of two beautiful boys, even though that she was... So we praise God for that, but there was a lot of heartache, there was a lot of trauma in many of those years. And so Leslie, many years ago, came across this Mother's Day solemn exhortation that I just want to read, and she kind of adapted it just to kind of acknowledge all the different layers that may be present here today. And we want you to know as a pastoral staff, as a church, that we are, we are present, we are here for you, we celebrate with you, but we also mourn and grieve with many of those that this day conjures up many emotions. So I want to read this. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with the little ones every day, and wear the badge of food stain, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it already is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we desperately need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. 
To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we stand with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your real experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those carrying guilt or shame over unmet or unborn children, we, the church, are here for you. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who, are, who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve, yet also rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering, or simply being a woman, is not for the faint of heart, but we have real warriors in our midst here today. And so ladies all around this sanctuary today, we celebrate you, we honor you, we appreciate you, we need you in this church, we need you in our lives, and all the men said, amen. amen. All right, let's give it up for our ladies once more. Excellent. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, and uh, we are in week three really the final week of this series that we've been titling, This is What Jesus Does, where we look at the post-resurrection accounts of Jesus after he has defeated death, hell, and the grave. He is resurrected. He's getting ready to ascend to the heavens to be seated at the right hand of the Father. But before he does that, he goes and he seeks out several different individuals and people to kind of pour his heart and soul into and to remind them of who they are in him. And so after, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this idea of how Jesus pursues those who have given up on him. That the good news of the gospel is that on this side of eternity, Jesus is relentless in his pursuit of our hearts. He's always coming after us. He's always chasing us down. He never gives up on us, even though many times we give up on him. Now this morning, what we're going to see is with the apostle Peter, that Peter hasn't necessarily given up on Jesus but what we're going to see in the text here today as we look at the scriptures is that Peter has given up on himself and Jesus pursues Peter to remind him of the calling of God that is on his life. It's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story that Jesus or Peter understands that Jesus is in fact the resurrected Lord, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus, Jesus is the one he said he would be. But Peter, because of mistakes because of failures because of letdowns feels like he can't be used by Jesus anymore and Jesus goes after him and he reminds him of the calling of God on his life and so I want us to stand for the reading of God's word here this morning I'm going to start off in Matthew chapter 16 and we're going to deal with a passage that precedes the crucifixion and resurrection just to give us a better context for this story. Many of you know this narrative where, where Jesus asked his disciples several questions. And we pick it up here in verse 13 where it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everyone say this, well done, Peter. All right, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Everyone say, Bad form, Peter. Bad form. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated. Now this morning in this text, what we see in 10 verses is that this Peter literally goes from his given name of Simon to Peter, which is Petros, which means little rock, to Satan, all in 10 verses. He goes from Simon to you are a rock to get thee behind me, Satan, all in a short span of time. You see, Peter is your typical type A personality. Are there any type A personalities in the room here this morning? Peter is your typical type A personality who is, in many ways, an emotional roller coaster. He's overzealous and constantly inserting his size 12 foot into his mouth. His passion gets ahead of him on many occasions. And once again, Peter, like many of the other disciples, he has his preconceived ideas about how the kingdom of the Messiah is to be established. And the idea of drinking the cup of the Father or being obedient to the point of sacrifice to the Father doesn't seem to fit into Peter's narrative. Yet, despite all of this, the promise given to Peter is that he will be like a rock in which God will greatly use to establish his church in the world. Jesus says, Simon, I now call you Peter, which means little rock. You may be an emotional roller coaster full of ups and downs in your life. Sometimes you swing and you connect and you knock it out of the park. And other times you swing and you completely strike out. But Peter is referred to as a rock in this text by Jesus Christ the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus sees Peter for who he is in him. Essentially, Jesus sees Peter for who he is destined to become. 
And beloved, that is good news for every single one of us in this room here this morning, that Jesus doesn't just see us for all our shortcomings. Jesus doesn't just see us for the times where we swing and we strike out, but Jesus sees us for who we are in him, and Jesus sees us for who we are destined to become. Now, as we read on the Gospels, we see this narrative kind of unfolding about how Jesus is foretelling his death and how he's trying to reveal to the disciples, I'm going to have to suffer many things so that I can do an eternal work that you guys know nothing about, but trust me in this, it's for your betterment, it's for your good. And all along the journey, Peter is a person that appears like a resilient disciple. He is one who is committed to the Lord. He is one who is committed to this kingdom. And many times, Peter is ready to fight on behalf of this kingdom. And at times, Jesus has to essentially say, hey, Peter, chill out, simmer down. Or as my daughter Isabella likes to say when people are getting worked up right now, why don't you go ahead and put that ranch away? I have no idea what it means, but apparently it's a TikTok video. So why don't you go ahead and put that ranch away right now? Why don't you go ahead and simmer down? But Peter is resilient all throughout the Gospels. But Jesus actually foretells and says, Peter, you think you're tough? You think you're bad, but I'm telling you, you're, you're going to deny me in my deepest, darkest moment. People are going to confront you on whether you really belong to my kingdom, and you're going to reject me. You're going to deny me in the midst of presence of other people. You're not that tough. You're not that bad. And so we see this actually unfold in Peter's life where a girl comes and challenges him. And, and when Jesus is being put on trial and says, aren't you one of those Galileans? Aren't you one of those ones that hang with Jesus? And Peter denies the Lord three times, just like Jesus foretold. And so when Jesus rises from the dead, showing that he is the first fruits of what's called resurrection, where he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, we find Peter in a very discouraged moment, not because he's given up on Jesus. No, he knows who Jesus is. He understands he is, in fact, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was promised to come, and he has proven it by this realm of resurrection. But what we see is that Peter... He gives up on himself. He begins to think, I have no business following this Messiah. I'm not qualified to be used by God anymore because I couldn't even stand up for him in his deepest, darkest moment. And this is the post-resurrection account that I want us to focus in on here this morning, how Jesus says, Peter, you might have given up on yourself, but I have not given up on you. I still believe what I declared over you all the way back in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus pursues him to remind him of that calling. And we see this narrative in John chapter 21, and it says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now remember, when Jesus went and found Peter, what was Peter doing? Fishing. And Jesus told him what? Lay aside the nets, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
You're not that good at fishing for fish, so why don't you go ahead and put that down? Come and follow me, and I will now make you fishers of men. It's interesting to note that because of the disappointment in himself, because of the discouragement of how he felt he let the Lord down, Peter decides to go back to the very thing he was called out of. This reveals the discouragement of Peter. He says, I, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, everyone say John. Remember, John's the guy we all want to beat up. He always thinks highly of himself. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself and to the sea. And I love verse 8. John just includes this. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And so in this story, what we see is that Peter, he says, I'm going to go back to the thing that Jesus called me out of, because I don't think I'm qualified to follow Jesus any further. And he's discouraged. He's frustrated. He goes and he fishes with the disciples. They fish all night and they catch nothing. He's given up on himself, but Jesus comes and finds them. He pursues them, even though they went back to that thing that he said, forget about it, leave it aside, don't do it any longer. And beloved, the truth is, that is the good news of the gospel for every single one of our lives, every single day, that Jesus calls us out of so much and into a new life of following him. But if we're honest, many times when things don't go our way, when things don't play out the way we hope for, what do we do? We go back to the thing that he called us out of. We return to that bondage. We return to that habit. We return to participating in that sin. We go back to that relationship that we know is toxic for us, but we keep going back because we don't think we deserve any better. And yet Jesus continually comes and he finds us and he says, I have better for you. I have better for you. I have purpose for you. I have destiny for you. You may have given up on me. You may have given up on yourself, but I am chasing after you. I am coming after your heart. And we see that here in the text. Peter, he does the Forrest Gump off of the boat. It's Jesus. And he swims to the land and the disciples come in because he understands, wow, wait a second. Jesus has not given up on me. So Jesus says, bring the fish here. And he invites Peter to share a meal with him. And we pick it up in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Remember, Jesus said, Peter, you're like a rock, and I'm going to use you 
to build my church. Now, I know there's a lot of theological debate about what Jesus is referring to, whether it's Catholic understanding or Protestant understanding, but make no mistake about it. Jesus changes his name and says, you're like a rock, and I will use you for my purposes in my church. And so Jesus reminds him, he said, feed my lambs, verse 16. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I believe in this text, in this post-resurrection account, we get a glimpse once again into the restorative heart of Jesus in pursuing Peter in this moment of weakness. Number one, what we see from this text is simply this, that Jesus comes to us even when we keep going back to the very thing he called us out of. Now once again, Peter decides that he's going to go fishing, the very thing Jesus calls him out of. And once again, Peter knows that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Peter knows that Jesus is the true Messiah sent by God. Peter doesn't seem to doubt who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Rather, Peter doubts himself, his call, his role, or place in partnering in what God is doing through Jesus. I want to ask you this question here this morning. Have you ever been there? Have you ever given up on yourself? Have you ever given up on your calling or your destiny or your purpose and partnering with God because of failures or past mistakes? In ministering for 20 plus years now, I can't tell you the number, number of times I have had conversations with people who have said to me, I felt like God called me, but then this happened in my life. And I just accepted that I can't be used by God because of this past experience in my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've thought that before. You felt like God wanted to use you for something or do something in your, in your life or he was calling you maybe even out of your vocational workplace and saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to give it all up, lay it all down, hand it all over and truly follow me. And you often present God with all the excuses of why you can't be used by him because of X, Y, and Z. And this is the story of Peter. He's not doubting who Jesus is. He's not doubting that Jesus will build his kingdom. He's simply saying, I, I, I can't be used by you. You can't do something with me. I have too many mistakes. I've made some terrible decisions in my life. I've, maybe you're here this morning. I, I've been divorced in my life, or I have a strange relationship with my children, or one time God told me to do this, and I just ignored his voice, and now I know that he'll never use me again. And the enemy, he loves to come and remind us of all of our mistakes all the time. 
He loves to come and say, God can't use you because you did this or you're doing this. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And we see that here in the story of Peter, that if God can use Peter, he can also use you. Peter denied the Lord three times in his darkest moment. And Jesus says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. I see purpose in your life. I see destiny in your life. And I know you have a calling. Be brave. Be bold. Old, walk in the calling that I am calling you to. And trust me in this leading. And so we see this. This is the good news that, that Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. Rather, he chooses to pursue Peter. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't give up on us either. either. Rather, he chooses to keep pursuing us even when we keep going to the, back to that thing he calls us out of. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, verse 39, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. First Peter 2.9, Peter writes this, but you, speaking of the body of Christ, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. Secondly, what we see from this text is that Jesus is always inviting us to break bread with him. And this speaks once again of intimacy and relationship. I heard this said many years ago that intimacy with God is this idea of into me see. Everyone say that into me see. When we talk about intimacy in relationships, intimacy with God, intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with the Holy Spirit, it's this idea of vulnerability. It's this idea of transparency. It's this idea of come and see me for who I am, the good and the bad the brokenness and the despair, all these things that are messed up in my life, I open myself up to you not to hide anything. There's a guy by the name of Jack Frost. Many years ago, he wrote a book called Experiencing the Father's Love. And he says this, so often, well-meaning Christians pray for a visitation from God, but what he really wants is a habitation with us. He doesn't want to come into our lives as a guest while we put on our best behavior around him until he leaves. And often this is what we do in our relationship with Jesus. Now how many people here this morning, whenever you have guests over, you go into this like frantic cleanup mode? Anybody? Kind of get a witness in here, right? You don't want the guests to see that part of the room. Don't go in the garage, that's a mess. You won't only want them to see the good parts. How many people you have a sit down with your kids? I used to do this when my kids were young, all right? Coach dad here for a moment. Kids, listen up. This is how I want you to respond. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I want you to be polite. I don't want you to tell embarrassing stories about mom and dad, all right? I want you to guard yourself at the dinner table. You may be comfortable around us at the dinner table to let out a belch or inappropriate thing in the moment, but don't do that when the guests come over, please. We want to put on our best when people come over, but often this is what we do with Jesus. We go into our prayer time and we want to act like we have it all together. We want to talk in language where 
is religious and sounds good. And we want to be careful about really exposing the true depths of our heart and what we're really battling with. And we know up here that he already knows, but we're afraid to express it in a way that's very transparent and honest. And what we see from this text is Jesus says, Peter, come, sit at the table with me. I know who you are. I know your brokenness. I know your mess. I know you denied me three times. But come, share a meal with me. And let's join in this realm of vulnerability and transparency. You see, this is what Jesus does for Peter. He says, come, dine at the table with me. Bring all your brokenness. Bring all your failure. Bring all your mess. You're welcome at my table. And watch what I can do with your mess when you allow me into the inner places of your life. Essentially, Jesus says, be fed by me so that you might be able to feed others. Be fed by me, Peter, so that you might be able to feed others. Stop hiding your mess from me. Be honest about your mess. I want to say this to you here this morning. Jesus wants to hear about your mess from you. He knows about it already, but he wants to hear it from you. Every parent, you know when your kid made a mistake and they're living in fear and they're worried about it and they don't want to talk openly about it. You know they did it, but as a parent, you just want to hear it from them. You want to hear them talk transparently about it because you know it's liberating and healing for them when they open up about their brokenness. In the same way, when you come to Jesus, you don't have to be super religious. You don't have to have it all together. You can come and say, here I am, all of me, and it's been a really bad, terrible day. Or it's been a really great, wonderful day. But in that moment, you're being real. You're being transparent. This is what Jesus does. Thirdly, Jesus reminds us of who we are called to be even when we've given up on our calling. So Jesus, he chooses to speak to Peter's identity of who he is called to be and what he is called to carry three times. Most theologians believe this is connected to Peter's denial of the Lord three times to reveal just how Jesus isn't going to let that stand in the way of restoring Peter back to his rightful identity and purpose. I believe the word of the Lord for us here this morning is that Jesus isn't going to let your previous blunders or mistakes stand in the way of pursuing your heart and restoring you back to your proper identity and purpose. I want to say it again. I believe this is the word of the Lord for us here this morning. Jesus is not going to let your mistakes or your previous blunders get in the way of pursuing you and restoring you back to your proper identity and purpose. You may have given up on your calling, but Jesus, the resurrected Lord, the anointed one, the Messiah, has not given up on your calling. And if God be for you, who could ever be against you, beloved? Come on. If God be for you, who could ever be against you? So Jesus, he speaks to the destiny of Peter. He speaks to who Peter is to become. Peter doesn't feel victorious at this moment, but Jesus says, I see it in you. I know who you're called to be. I know how God, when you surrender over to his purposes, will use you for the glory and purposes of building the church. And so Peter, he begins to follow Jesus once 
again. You know, it's interesting that in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon those 120 believers and they fall out of the upper room and they go into the marketplace and people begin to ask all types of questions, who is it that stands up and boldly proclaims the gospel of the resurrected Lord? Peter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up in his voice, and he addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And Peter goes on in Acts 2, and he preaches this phenomenal message. And it says that about 3,000 people are saved that day, and the church is launched and it begins to go out into all the known world carrying the message of the resurrected Lord. It's Peter, the same one who denied the Lord three times on the day of Pentecost, stands up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He preaches one message, and 3,000 people are saved that day. Thank God that Jesus went and found Peter when he went back to fishing, amen? Thank God that Jesus didn't give up on Peter, even though Peter had given up on himself. I said this in our series on the book of Acts. Peter, one man, preaches one sermon under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people are saved. Beloved, we got 3,000 pastors preaching 3,000 sermons sometimes to see one person get saved. We need the anointing in our preaching like never before. We need men and women full of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, standing in their confidence and calling that they're not perfect, they don't have it all together, but Jesus is coming after their hearts and he's not giving up on them. And they rise in that anointing and when they preach, they preach with a spiritual authority. They declare the good news with a spiritual authority to see many people repent and come into the kingdom. This is the good news of the gospel. You know, many years ago, our church in Indiana, we had a, a gentleman by the name of Cluddy Keith come in. Cluddy is a great revivalist, uh, like old school revivalist, but the kind of person that carries this spiritual authority that almost scares you at times. And he pastored this incredible, incredible revival in Florence, Kentucky, just out of Cincinnati. And many of the revivals that have happened in the last couple of decades if you ask them who has been one of the greatest influencers in your life, they will say Cluddy Keith. Cluddy Keith has been a spiritual father. He carries an anointing. He speaks prophetically, and things happen. Things shift. Cluddy was the kind of guy that you, when you went to services under Cluddy's ministry, you wanted to make sure you had your life right. Anybody remember those days? Like, you know, the person's guy, and you're like, oh man, this guy, he walks in a level, the anointing. I want to be careful how I'm living. I want to be careful what I'm thinking, because I'm just fearful that he might say something. And I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm just saying that's how, that's how he was. He carried that level of anointing. And he was so bold. And I was leading worship as a young minister and discovering that gift in my life. And I remember we led worship. The presence of God showed up in a powerful way. And Cluddy gets up there to speak, and Cluddy's not doing well right now. He's in the hospital. He's 80-something years old. He's still pastoring an incredible church at 80-something years old, preaching a Friday night revival service every single Friday night, seeing heroin addicts come off the streets of Cincinnati, and God's moving in a powerful way. But I was thinking about Cluddy this week, and I'll never forget that first time. He said, young man, he talks like he smoked like five packs of Marlboro Reds a day. 
that young man, I want you to come up here. And I'm like, oh no, here it is. I'm thinking of every sin I committed that week. He's, like, he's about to call it out. He said, tonight when you led worship, there was an anointing on your life. You played with excellence and you played with a good spirit, but there was an anointing on your life. Never lose heart of that anointing. And then he said this, he said, I've seen people play and sing with the greatest talent in the world, and they play and sing the anointing right out of the room. That marked me as a young man. That of course, we wanna, we wanna do all that we do with the spirit of excellence. We wanna do it well, that's honoring God, but more than anything, I wanna carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Every time I step in the pulpit, every time I lead any type of gathering, I wanna be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That in the midst of whatever brokenness I'm facing, in the midst of whatever turmoil I'm going through, I can step into a place of leadership and under the anointing, God can use me in the midst of my weakness because in my weakness, he is made strong. The reason Jesus pursues people like Peter and the reason Jesus pursues messed up, broke people like you and I it's because in our weakness, he is glorified. In our weakness, he is made strong. And when God comes and pours out his spirit in a fresh and real and tangible way and lives are changed, we can't say it's because of us. We have to say it's because of him. It's for his glory. And the anointing is here in this moment. Amen? And so Jesus, he restores Peter. Now, church history tells us that Peter is eventually crucified under Nero in Rome. He is crucified actually upside down at his request. He says, I can't be crucified in the same way that my Lord was crucified. And because of his radical faith and boldness, the church, the gospel goes forward into so many different regions in the known world. Tim Keller says this, Christianity offers not merely, merely a consolation, but a restoration not just of the life we have, but of the life we always wanted, but never achieved. And when it comes to those two words of consolation and restoration, I think we need to understand this. Consolation is the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. But restoration is to reinstate back to its rightful place, position, or purpose. And I think we see this with Jesus and Peter. He doesn't pursue Peter just to be empathetic with him. And not that empathy is bad, empathy is good. There are times where we need to just sit and be present with people and empathize with them and just be there. But Jesus doesn't quit with consolation. Jesus doesn't quit with empathy. Jesus is committed to that realm of restoration. He says, you've gotten off course, but it's okay. I'm here to bring you back. I'm here to guide you. We think that the, the will of God is supposed to go cleanly from point A to point B in this straight linear line. But the truth is, the will of God often is like this, like Peter, ups and downs, highest of the highs, lowest of the lows. But no matter where we are in our journey of faith, the ups and the downs, the good news of the gospel is Jesus says, oh, you're way off course, but let me come meet you right where you're at. Yeah, you went back to this thing that I called you out of, but it's okay. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna help you. 
I'm, and I'm going to restore you back to my purposes and my will. And we get back on the path, and sometimes we're walking the straight and narrow, but then life happens. Life happens, and we get off course, and we end up way over here, and we think, oh my goodness, we're so far off. How could God ever use me? And Jesus comes and says, yeah, this isn't a good place for you, but I'll come meet you right here. And I'll, I'll come alongside of you, and I'll help guide you back to the place that I have for you. And this is always what Jesus does for us. No matter where we are, in the highest of the highs, or the lowest of the lows, he says, I'm coming after your heart. I'll meet you in that place. And I have not given up on you, so trust me. I will do such a transformative work in your life if you allow me to, and I will use you in the midst of all your chaos, in the midst of all your brokenness, in the midst of all your heartache. And maybe here, you're here this morning and, and you feel like, like Peter, you identify with him. You say, you know what? I, once I was really walking hard for Jesus. I was living a life devoted. I was passionate about following him. Something happened in my life and it just deterred me. And I didn't give up on God. I didn't give up on who Jesus is. I just, I just gave up on myself. And I thought, man, how could God ever use someone like me? But beloved, the good news of the gospel is that for 2,000 plus years, God has been using people like you and I every single day who aren't perfect, who don't have it all together, but who submit to his will and come under his anointing. And in the midst of our weakness, he is made strong. Amen. So I want us to stand to our feet here today. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up here. And this morning, when I'm done praying corporately over us, if you want prayer for anything, maybe you've given up hope. Maybe you've wandered from your calling. Maybe it was, it's as simple as even this week, the Lord said, I want you to do this. And you made an excuse for why you couldn't do it. Anybody ever been there before? I want, I want you to go start a conversation with that, that teller or that grocery store person or just begin to open up and share your story. And you made the excuse, you say, oh, not now, I'm too busy, oh, this has come across weird. And you didn't do it. And because of that, you know that you, you made a mistake or you, you failed in that moment. And you say, you know what, that's it. God will never use me again. He'll never speak to me again. That is not true. He will speak to you. He will use you no matter how many blunders and mistakes you make. He's coming after your heart. And so if you've wandered, if you've given up hope, if you've lost confidence in your calling, I want to invite you this morning when I'm done praying to come to the front. These people would love to pray with you. And we're going to have our worship team uh, sing us in this, lead us in this song as we close today. If you've got to go, we bless you. Go in the power and strength of his might. Ladies, remember we have a flower and we have a card with all the children that we sponsor for you here today. Women, we celebrate you today. We celebrate you. We need you. The church needs you. If it had not been for the women, the church would not have made it throughout many generations, many generations. We need women rising to their calling. Maybe you're here today and you're a female and you are told that God can't use you because of your gender. That is bad, terrible theology. That is not what Paul is dealing with. We could talk about that another day, but that is a lie, I believe, from the pit of hell. And it's been used to oppress women. Women, he wants to use you. The first evangelists were women. 
They're the ones announcing the resurrected Lord, not the scaredy cat guys hiding behind closed doors. And so rise up in your destiny. Rise up in your purpose. Rise up in your calling and be who Jesus has called you to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people. We, we, we bless your people today. We thank you for your church that you are building and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, we thank you that you are relentless in your pursuit of our hearts, that you went after Peter, even though he'd given up on himself, and you're coming after us. You're chasing us down, and you're speaking life and purpose and destiny into our lives. And I pray that right now, every lie from the enemy that would tell us that we're of no worth, that we can't be used by you because of past mistakes or failures, we come against that lying spirit in the name of Jesus. And we ask for your church to arise. We ask for your church to arise in their destiny, in their calling, in their anointing, and walk in the purposes of God. I declare your goodness and your favor over these lives here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want prayer, we would love to pray with you. If you've got to go, bless you. If you want to stay in worship for a bit longer, you're, uh, feel free to worship for a bit longer. Thank you.